So you turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 133, or if you choose to follow along with the translation provided in your bulletins, either way. I'd like to use part of the song we just sang as really both a, a rapid review and also as a bit of a preview for what we're going to hear in today's psalm, which again is a song of ascents. That's what we've been looking at. Uh, the words of the rather familiar hymn actually feels more like a, an anthem, a triumphant march, anthem of the faith. We uh, reminded ourselves of this reality together. Brothers, we are treading where the saints have trod. And then we even said something like this, which may sound preposterous in our day. We are not divided. All one body we, one in hope and doctrine, one in charity. That's what we sang. Onward. We say, all right, that, that sure sounds good, but is it true? And then last week we celebrated a oneness. We looked at the solas of the Reformation, sola meaning only or alone. If you were here, you remember that. We proclaimed with the Reformers, the Protestant Reformation, sola scriptura, solus Christus, sola gratia, sola fide, sola deo gloria. It's all for God's glory. All of these alone we confess. And so with that oneness in view, along with this pilgrimage we've been following with the pilgrim songs, uh, we ought to pause and ask ourselves about this uh, special kind of peace, also known as unity, or one as it feeds the other. Is this true of us, brothers, sisters, pilgrims, soldiers? Are we one? And then if so, why are we one? Let's read this short psalm together. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Version this morning. And as we read, let's pursue the peace that it presents, knowing that this is God's word. A song of ascents of David. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edge of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. Let's pray together. Father, your word is truth. It is light. And by it you lead your people, you lead your pilgrims from faith to faith and into your joy and your peace. Lord, we pray that you would guide us there today as together we attend to this word. We ask for this blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll leave, uh, we'll leave Megan out of this for right now because she has her own bedroom. Uh, but right now, my three boys share the same room together, which in itself is at times a sight to behold. Uh, but anyway... Uh, Let's say that you come over to our house and you just happen to pass by their room when they're all in there together. I'm going to ask you a question. It's not real complicated. Which scene as a guest would you rather see? A, chaos, complaint, and crying, 
As in, give me back that book. No, I had it first. You're mean. I'm telling mommy. Followed by a multiple decibel shrill scream of a one-year-old. Okay? That's A. Or B, a scene of concord and quiet. As in, brothers ages 10, 8, and 1 playing Legos together and laughing. If you're a guest to our house, which would you rather see? As a parent, I will answer that question for you. The answer is B, concord and quiet. And whenever I see B, I like to think that I actually encourage that sight, uh, maybe even with these words that are worthy of interrupting even a scene of Legos clicking together. Boys, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. I understand my mom used to pull that one on me and my three older brothers. I don't know that we always caught the reference. I doubt my children did. Maybe after today they will. The truth is still the same, though, and it it applies to much larger groups than bedroom scenes with brothers playing. It applies to brothers in Christ, even those who are assembled in this very room today, this gathering of God's people in what is known as the church. Have you ever experienced concord in the church? Oneness in a fellowship of believers. Conversely, have you known the opposite? Where there's complaining, where there's chaos, maybe even actual crying, and not out of joy. There are sights, there are spirits that can be seen in the body of Christ. And in this psalm, Psalm 133, the pilgrims are singing, they're actually celebrating. B, the better scene. And since unity in God's community is a sight to behold, as the first word of this song sets the tone, behold, because of that blessing, we too ought to encourage brotherly peace. In fact, that's our summary proposition for today. If someone were to ask of Psalm 133, what's it about? There's a brief summary. And you might even follow up by saying, but how? How might I encourage the peace? If you're going to say that I need to encourage the peace, how do I do that? This unity. Well, in our bulletins, if you're not already there, I invite you to follow along. There's a brief answer, brief outline to the question. Uh, I really hope that as pilgrims in this one faith, that all of you are very interested in what it would look like to advance the peace, this peace among brothers, brothers also known as the body of Christ, the church. This song ought to be our song as we make our way to the heavenly Zion together. The first exhortation toward encouraging this piece, summarized here, is this. Enter the setting of this unity. Enter the setting. The setting takes us right back to the top of the song. You've been apt to have this pointed out to you. It informs us again. Um, that this is a song of ascent. So what does that mean? Well, we've, we've looked at that some in the past. But this is one of those songs that was sung on the way to Jerusalem by these 
pilgrims who had left wherever they were living in order to make their way to Jerusalem in time for one of the annual festivals, whether it be Pentecost, Passover, or Day of Atonement. They would gather there to celebrate the acts of God in their behalf. They celebrate what he's done for them during these feasts. Uh, and as they made, made their way up to Zion, they would, they would sing to each other. Um, if you've ever been on a Reuter bus for school sports, and they're singing these silly songs together, it's almost an encouragement and a lighthearted way of saying, we're, we're going to the same place to see the same team. We'll cheer the team on. And on the way, there's singing, frivolity. There's singing here. They're making a pilgrimage. They know where they're going. They know why they're going. And so they encourage one another. They remind one another why it is we've left home in the first place. They're going to the festivals, matters of great importance. These were matters of faith. And so they sing songs that would encourage one another in the faith as they marched along onward. Onward, Christian soldiers. You can imagine them walking to these festivals, these festivals of faith. And as they did, this was fostering various feelings. And one of those was a very strong sense of fellowship, this ecumenical feeling, but not just a feeling. There's more to it than that. It's, it's moved by faith. Feelings of fellowship, yes, but this is something that we ought to enter to as we want to experience what's expressed even in this opening verse. Here's a verse that we're going to read again. It's a verse that I dare say many, many pagans have used maybe even in their own homes, when there is a sight to behold that smacks of true unity. Listen to this word of poetry and peace again. Verse 1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Uh, for some reason, the New International Version leaves out the behold. That's there in the Hebrew. It's it's a... Uh, a wake up, a behold. This is expressing this opening deep desire to see, if not experience, this unity that God's people are enjoying. Behold this sight, this sensation almost. We're not told exactly uh, when David wrote this. Uh, there was a time in his life, though, when, when he had a taste of this kind of concord. Um, uh, Remember the divisive years of Saul? Uh, Rusty took us through some of this. Uh, there were some real rough years, well, before and after David, as you're probably aware. But there was this moment where hope sprung eternal, the beginning days where they could practically taste and see, behold, this very exciting beginning for the people of God. Unity in their community might actually be possible. This prospect was moving. And David perhaps could actually see it. The kingdom united? Lord, may it be so. Even so that later in Israel, uh, in their history, they're still singing about this, uh, this good and pleasant blessing, unity, brothers, living this way, all the tribes of Israel together. That's a sight to behold. And just in case we're tempted to equate uh, this profound fellowship with just a feeling, and, and I'm, I'm okay with feelings, right? But to equate it simply with a feeling, we want to remind ourselves that the setting of the unity requires an object. And that's true for any unity. If you want to have unity in anything, <clears throat> you can, we, could, we could whip up a feeling of unity with music. 
But without an object, there is no unity that will last. It will simply evaporate. <clears throat> you need to have something solid on which you base your unity. It might be a common shared you know, purpose. It might be a very particular proclamation that you're rallying around. It could be a person, for that matter, that brings this shared unity. Um, something or someone beyond a mere moment, a simple shared experience, that has to enter the equation or this feeling of unity is going to uh, move away quickly. Uh, for example, and, and believe me, there are all kinds of illustrations. You can, if you don't like mine, you can you know, tell me yours later. But um, one that came to mind staring at this, this is going to be sort of silly, but if you've ever been in an airport, um, <clears throat> when several flights get delayed and the word cancel actually shows up, there is uh, an experience of immediate solidarity uh, <laughs> with strangers. Oneness. Uh, not only do you, you share certain feelings like inconvenience, outrage, worse maybe, but also you share a certain cause and that cause goes like this. I'm going to be on the next flight now. See, this is a shared sensation. Um, that's the setting and that's the sensation. And yet usually within 24 hours of that so-called fellowship, uh, it's disbanded. And why is that? Because you're home. You're home. The crisis is resolved. The brotherhood is dissolved. And understandably so. The psalmist is not singing about that kind of unity or even that kind of, well, that lasts for a season. There are some unities that last longer than 24 hours, some literally a season. Uh, this happens in sports. Uh, pick your five-month you know, favorite sport. Your team's on the field, and you will go nuts for your team. You are one with these people near and far who wear the same logo on the hat. And then the season breaks. It's not a solid object, but that is a setting. And yet airports and arenas are not eternal, and they're not elevated to the position that is finding a celebration in this song. Remember, these are pilgrims, and where are they going? They are going up to Zion. In this case, physical, actual Zion, and yet, in a very true sense, they were heading to heavenly Zion, together, to the temple, to heaven. For what purpose? Well. I don't want this to elude us too quickly. We have to remember the context here. In a word, it's worship. That's part of the setting here. We, we don't want to miss that. Worship of the true God. Uh, that's why the tribes are traveling. Uh, that's what they had in common. They had their Lord, and they had this very particular destination and purpose. This wasn't an earthly brotherhood alone. Uh, it's more than a bloodline that was bringing them together. Uh, it's the Lord who was bringing them together. That's who made them brothers. And if you do look around the room today, I'll put it in question form. What is it that you behold in this room? What do you behold? Is it just people or fellow pilgrims who share a fellowship and one that's specifically anchored in the one and absolute Lord, the one who gives unity? And we'll look at the giving of unity in just a moment. But for what it's worth, and I, and I think it's worth quite a bit these days, 
I, I trust that you know that we desire here to express our unity in actual forms. Uh, don't get me wrong, I'm gonna, I'll repeat that. The feelings, I'm okay with the feelings. They're great. They ought to flow from something. Um, the Lord has blessed us with, with years of fellowship and with true unity in our community. We've seen that. We've felt that. It's our setting, and it's a joy. Exclamation mark, period. And so we praise our Lord for it. We do. And foundational for both the feeling and the fellowship is the faith that we confess. We even write it down, uh, really so there's no misunderstanding. In other words, we have a statement of faith. We, we don't just have a feeling of faith. In fact, we want people to know what we believe, do we? We want people to know very specifically, in detail, what we believe and why we believe it. We practically run it up the flagpole. This is who we are. We'll even put it on a sign out front. We are a united, reformed church. What do you mean by such words? And again, we looked at this some last week when we looked at the solas of the faith. Reformed, meaning um, of the Reformation. We're committed to those truths, the ones that were recovered at that time in history when there was a mess. We looked at the solas, right? Why are we united? Well, we're united, reformed. Well, it implies that we are united with like-minded brothers, other churches who at the same time will run up their flagpole these same truths. What truths? Well, not just the solas, but they're in actual forms. You know what they're called? They're called the three forms of unity. That's their name. I hope that's not the very first time some of you have heard that. If you've been through the so-called pastor's class, please tell me you've heard of the three forms of unity. And they are, and these are on the final. The Belgic Confession, the Canons of Dort, and as we read from this morning, the Heidelberg Catechism. What of these three forms of unity? What makes them part of our unity? What they proclaim. They are a basis for unity in matters of faith. And someone might ask, does that mean that we need more than the Bible? I think some people are rather suspicious of that. Well, why do you have these forms? Isn't the Bible enough? Think of it this way. These forms make no mistake about what Bible and what understanding of that Bible. Or, to put it this way, we believe in that God that Christ, that scripture, that salvation, they're written down for you, lest there be no misunderstanding. That will unify a people. We rally around truths, and we find unity in them. The forms specify areas on which we agree to agree. What about all the things not covered in those forms? We haven't agreed to agree on those. We may but we agree to agree on these. I hope you see the value in having a standard that explains what God has revealed in his word because I think you've noticed that there are many disagreements about what God has said. It may seem profound to say the Bible is enough, and it is, but what do you mean having said that? What do you mean? Where will you find unity when someone disagrees and the years go on? you want to know what this church believes? Well, we've written it down. And you can ask me. That's fine. You can ask me. You are invited to do that. But I hope you see that it doesn't depend on me. 
long after I'm gone, and I hope you find comfort in this, not me being gone, but long after I'm gone, this church will believe what we believe today. Because it's not about me. I think that's nice. We're in a community of humans. And whenever you're in a community of humans, you will be wise to have forms, standards, that transcend temporary personalities, that transcend changing church programs. Because the bedrock of unity and the heart of unity is truth, gospel truth, truth that reveals the promises of God, truth that reveals the purpose that God has revealed, and also truth in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what brings us together. That's who brings us together, and that's who calls us here today for the purpose of worship. And worship is what these pilgrims are going to Jerusalem to do, to celebrate the same Lord who was promised to them and who we have received as Christ revealed even at the cross. Along the way, what were they doing? Well, they're singing. They're beholding something. They're experiencing this oneness that could only come from, say it again, faith, this context of faith. Is that how you entered this setting today? With pleasure, with this anticipation, the heart, and you're, you're eager now to encourage the brothers, the sisters, in this kind of peace, this body of Christ, I encourage. And that's your mindset too. And whether you did or didn't enter that way, either way, these beginning words encourage all of us to look. Well, the King James, the New Americans, behold. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. And do you know what that looks like? Brothers laughing and playing with Legos? It's even better, even better. Uh, the imagery that, that follows here, it, it may escape us at first, and, and maybe it did as we read it, but we're going to add to the setting here, and this is encouraging too. We're going to engage ourselves briefly in the similes of this unity, specifically how they, it's similar see, to the figures of flowing described here, along with this special feature of freshness. Those two we will look at. Unity among God's people is like these things. And the first simile or likeness is detailed in verse 2. Look with me there. It is like the precious oil upon the head, coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edge of his robes. Okay, so you're in some literature class. Write for me a poem of unity. What would it look like? This blessing. You wouldn't say this. It's like oil running down someone's beard. <laughs> what? Doesn't sound sanitary, <laughs> let alone a helpful simile. And yet for David, uh, for those pilgrims who were singing along, they were saying, yes, this fellowship of the faith, it's like this, singing to one another, feeling the love. It's like this, precious oil. What do we see here? It's, well, it's oil. It's priestly oil. Did you catch that? It's priestly oil. Why is that? It's also plentiful oil. It's priestly because it points to the priestly line of Aaron. That's verse 2. Aaron is mentioned, and his line by implication is, is the line of priests. And, and it's plentiful, and I, I like the way the New American Standard lays this out. It's very nice. 
this oil can, it, you can practically see it coming down. See the words there? Coming down, coming down, and then the next image one more time. Three times, coming down. This is practically this cascading flow of blessing. You can see the flow coming down, coming down, coming uh, It's even coming down upon the edge of Aaron's robe. This is plentiful and priestly blessing. And since God's blessing did flow through the priestly ministry, uh, through that very special mediation, uh, it's really a very appropriate picture, uh, partly because the priests, well, <laughs> for a priest to do his job, it, it, he'd need cooperation from the people. Uh, that, that's part of the picture. Seems. And, and also it's appropriate because these pilgrims were intending to make their way up to the temple in Jerusalem, we've looked at that, in order to celebrate their Lord's blessing, his gracious mediation. What are they celebrating in these acts of deliverance? They are making a walk. They're going to celebrate their Lord and his great salvation. And part of the walk was this mediation. Well, they had a high priest, right? They knew that when they got to Jerusalem, there'd be a high priest there. He was anointed by God, and he would be able to gain access into the presence of God. He would be able to stand there between sinful man and a holy God and make sacrifice. And again, if you were here last week, I don't want to put too much weight on last week, but we, we mentioned very specifically solus Christus, Christ as our only mediator. Christ is the high priest. We only have one mediator. And while these priests pointed to that, they could celebrate. They could celebrate even as they walked to Zion. Christ alone is our mediator. And yet even before he came to live and to die for us, the Lord had established this priestly order, this anointing of true pilgrims who had gone before us in the faith, pilgrims of faith looking to Christ, the high priest. Um, it's a very rich blessing, and they could taste practically the forgiveness that it assured them. The priest would stand for them, this priestly office. And then, you know, by comparison, we have um, their reflection. This, the, we also have the ministry of the precious oil. The pilgrims, they want to delight. They think of this. They, they know that there's peace even in the body. So they have a reason for oneness, right? Because they had one representing them before God. And they want to behold that blessing. And so we have that comparison. It's, uh, first of all, like precious oil, which is priestly and plentiful. And it's also like Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew. Hmm. What? Look at me at the next picture of unity expressed in verse 3. It is as if or like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. And again, you say, that's what, I would, that's what comes to mind immediately when I think of the brotherhood. It's refreshing. It's refreshing. Um, even uh, when the walk got rough on this pilgrim way, it was still worth it. We're going to Zion. Uh, even these, uh, the smaller dry mountains, like Zion wasn't the largest mountain in Israel. Hermon was. And yet it's like Hermon. The, the rich do, even snow-capped at times. Zion would be like that. Like Zion. Like Hermon. They're the same. They're known for this brotherly, this fresh unity. Both images are really combined here to look at this flowing, fresh, even fragrant fellowship. And where 
does it come from? What's its source? It's coming down. Well, the Lord's the giver of the blessing. So what are we seeing next? He provides his priestly order, provides the oil, the morning mountain dew, refreshing the landscape. That, that's going to be the Lord's doing. That's his gift. People called by his name. Frankly, I, I've already said it. I'm grateful for the, the covenant community over the years that we've had here and the, the freshness that the Lord has given us. That, that's a gift. And we're going to develop that gift in these uh, final words of this song. We're going to engage ourselves uh, not just in two similes, but they're cascading down. We're going to see them advance into this reality that the brotherhood is a gift, a gift that ought to encourage all of us to entreat, which means pray, to ask, to entreat the source of this unity. Call out to the one who pours out blessing. Or we can find it explained at the end of the song this way. Look with me there. The last phrase following the setting and the similes. We hear this said concerning the place where unity is found, verse 3, for there the Lord commanded. It's also translated, the Lord bestows the blessing, life forever. Here's a softball. Who's the source of the unity? The peace? Good Sunday school answer, God. Who's the fountain of all favor, for that matter? The Lord. And if that isn't already clear in this song, it's made explicit here in verse 3. This is the Lord's doing. And even though we didn't look at Psalm 132 yet, we do plan on doing that next month, before, actually before and on Christmas Day. Psalm 132, it, it's rather clear. It's dealing with the promise made to David and to his throne, to the anointed, which is who? Another good Sunday school question. Jesus and, and flowing right out of that beautiful psalm, we'll probably take two weeks to look at Psalm 132, is this song of unity. He is the one, our Lord, the Christ, who is going to bring peace to his people. And he will do so by way of the cross. Shalom, this, this uh, desire for God's peace. Peace right, from God, peace with God, Peace that extends to the brotherhood, shalom. That's going to come through the Christ. He will be God with us, Emmanuel. And where peace has been provided, you know what's got to follow? And you know what will follow? Unity. Unity. Whenever God's people dwell together in unity. What was the song being sung on the way to Zion then? Well, here it is. Is this always a song that's sung amongst the body? God's people always unified? Here's a short answer. No. Okay. Um, the longer answer, sadly, details uh, discord, um, discouraging reports, including in the days of David himself. We're, we're not going to take the time to look at that, but... You know, he's the ascribed author of this brotherhood song. And that itself serves as a warning to the future readers, really a reason to entreat, which is what we're looking at here, to entreat the Lord to keep pouring out this blessing of peace upon his people. We hear that in other places in the Psalter, don't we? We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. 
Because if only the Lord can give the peace, then why wouldn't we ask him for it? Why would we try to conjure up peace, in quotes, by our own strength? You know, our Lord himself, uh, you know, uh, prayed for peace in John 17. He prayed for unity. He prayed for us. He prayed for the church. He prayed to his Father, quote, May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And Jesus continues to intercede for his people. And some people might read passages like that or even this psalm and come up with questions like, well, why is, why is there so much disunity then? Or it could be asked another way. Maybe this is more specific. Why then are there so many denominations? You ever hear that one? Why are there so many denominations? Why isn't there just one church of the living God? And to answer that, first off, um, there is only one church of the living God. It began in Genesis. began with the first convert and with the first community of believers. And by God's grace, it carries on to this day. And it will prevail till the end, even in spite of sinful creatures. Our Lord's promise is to his church. It's his pleasure to grow his church. He will do that. He's going to use people like us to work together to see his kingdom advance. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, etc. I trust that everyone here, uh, even as a guest into this house, would be able to see the scene of Legos and laughter, metaphorically, of course. Because what we're building here is not something temporary that clicks together and snaps apart. It's the kingdom of God. And we're part of that. And there ought to be joy in that, and there has to be unity in that. God is building his kingdom. And so with that said, it does remain true that divisions have occurred. Even in churches, there have been disagreements that continue to erupt. Actually, disagreements that come from within, come from without, rather predictably, and that leads many to conclude, it seems, that a so-called solution is, well, despair, or to make a virtue out of becoming non-denominational. I I don't need to make this a soapbox, but it's worth reflection here, that a so-called solution to the problem of disunity is non-denominationalism. Again, as though that was a virtue. Um, In other words, to be part of no denomination, to share your name, to share your identity, to express your convictions with no one, that would be preferable, it seems. Um, You can almost hear a sense of, and I'm not saying this to be mean, I just think it's interesting. You can fill in the blanks. There's almost a pride in saying, you know, we're non-denominational. And and if you peel back the layers of that, what is being said? And we we practically have gotten in a position where we have to apologize for saying, "Yeah, yeah, we're part of a denomination. Implicit indictment that's a bad thing you know non-denominational effectively says we're we're good we're good on our own we're independent we're we're self-sufficient now how does that promote unity how does that small focus uh, really self-centered solution proclaim to the world as jesus prayed that we be one well it doesn't I don't want you to misunderstand this either. Um, The solution is not to build um, 
a denomination out of the lowest common denominator, that seems to be attractive for some as well. Uh, certainly that could produce a church that might not even be Christian. If you just take it down, well, we all believe this. Okay, well, what else do we believe? That doesn't matter, some say. It does matter. God's word is written and revealed. And plus, the solution isn't necessarily for everyone to agree with me. Uh, that, that's how many in the discussion seem to feel. If only the world would come to its senses and see what I see. Because, of course, I, me, I am the center of all things in every direction. No one else ever feels that way? I've got it all together. And if everyone else would just see what I see, then there would be peace on earth. That's a lie, too. The solution is not found in a sinner. Only a Savior can be the source of unity. And only the Lord's Christ can do that. Only the Lord's Christ can create a community, a place where blessing is bestowed and life forever, verse 3. See that? And that's going to mean, among other things, that this community will be joining with the brothers in the community that's singing here, right here in the psalm. They're singing of the blessed communion that we share with them in Christ. In a real sense, I want you to realize, we're doing that today. We're actually going to sing this very psalm that was sung with these pilgrims who went before us in the faith. And so that leads us, of course, to this point. A taste, a foretaste, really, of forever. Today. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to have an, a literal taste at the Lord's table. We taste the holy communion that our Lord invites his people to share at his table. That's a foretaste of heaven, too. Behold, how good and how pleasant. As we wrap it up here, I, I want to concede that this, some of this, probably especially toward the end, as the similes break apart, that it might sound like pie in the sky, some of this. Maybe wishful thinking, maybe wishful theology, um, especially if you have ever been a part of a church spat or even a church split. Still, it's through the eyes of faith that we see that this is not theoretical pie. This is theological present, and, and it's present and future. Because the eyes of faith can see beyond what is here and see what is there in glory, what is real, where we sit with Christ. We share the blessings of eternity right now, eternal life, see, forevermore. And this comes to us by grace, you know that. We can't manufacture, even if we tried, if the, if the charter of this church was to manufacture peace and unity together, we would fail. It's got to be a gift. It will never come by our cleverness. It will never come by our calendar of events. It will never come by our choruses or lack of them. It will never come by our carpet. It will never come by the cookies downstairs. Those are not unifying forces, let alone unifying sources. We are not able to bring Sinners together as one. Only the Lord Jesus, by his word and spirit, can do that. And so that's why all of us have to entrust ourselves with our lives. We do that by repenting, turning ourselves into him humbly, trusting in him completely, 
and then continuing, even in matters like this, continuing to entreat him with our humble prayers, asking him that this unity be true of us and that it would be poured out upon us as pilgrims as we travel. Uh, We have had some years together now, and we've enjoyed unity. I've said that. Even from the beginning in a Grange Hall, um, maybe even from then to the graceful dinners last night, maybe uh, you think of Camp Wooten when you think of the kind of peace with actual birds chirping in the background. Or maybe you think, no, I look forward to Sunday worship where I can bask in the glow and the oneness that we have in Christ and celebrate that together. We don't want to take that for granted. In fact, this ought always to find encouragement as we've been hearing throughout this psalm today. Pray for continued peace. Pray that any personal concern you may have, any, I don't know, personal individual preference that you may have, that that would never compromise the conviction um, of this community, of this communion, the one that we have in the Lord Jesus. We can put it this way, pray for, ask for, the joy of entering into this song, this one when the declaration of pilgrims old and new say, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Let's pray together. Father, you've invited us into your house. You've invited us into your family. And it is our desire to behold the sight of brotherly concord, not that of complaining or of crying or of seeking after self, but instead of seeking after you and whatever you desire, whatever you require of us to live together in unity and forever. Lord, sometimes we lose sight of this peace, and so we do pray today and together that by your word and by your spirit we would enjoy this scene and encourage one another in it, even all the more as we see the day coming when our Lord will return to take all of his pilgrims home, all the way home. We pray for this peace in his name. Amen. Our response.